and welcome to Upstage Downstage. With me, Richard Platt, seated in the upper circle. And me, Stephen Rees, uh, seated in a cheap seat. This is the Theatre Podcast, where we discuss productions we've seen, things we've liked and may not have liked, giving our complete unprofessional and non-biased opinions. So grab a brew, take a seat and let's raise that curtain. On today's episode, we'll be discussing Red Ellen. We saw this touring production at Nottingham Playhouse on the 30th of April 2022. This play by Caroline Bird tells the epic story of Ellen Wilkinson, Labour MP, getting its debut in 2022 at the Northern Stage, Newcastle upon Tyne. So Stephen, what's it all about? Caught between revolutionary and parliamentary politics, Ellen fights with an unstoppable, reckless energy for a better world. Running into the likes of Einstein and Hemingway, she battles to save Jewish refugees in Nazi Germany, along with leading 200 workers in the Jarrow Crusade, marching from Newcastle to London. So with all that said, let's set Set the scene. So Stephen, what was your first impressions of the set and the layout of Red Ellen? Oh, God. What a complete waste of time. What a pile of donkey shit. I have ever seen. But as for the set, I was a bit put off simply when we started. It, we didn't even have to get into the auditorium and um, they had no booklets and they, they had singers at the uh, singing. I suppose I, w- I would have expected it to be period songs. No, I think they tried to pick songs that were for about empowering women, which was a good idea. This play was, was basically historical. So therefore you ought to really had have had um, period music of the time or, or at least something, but they've gone on a spin for empowering inspirational music in this choir. Yeah. I mean, even if they'd have chosen songs that were predominantly sung by men in the 30s and 40s that were actually then sung by women, that would have had more of an impact as you walked in just to create that take back of power to women, really. I'm always a bit weary when they put like a choir on or something to entertain you in the foyer before you actually go into the auditorium because I just think, uh, have they done this because of uh, the weakness of the actual show? Is it more uh, throwing more stuff at it to get you in the mood? Definitely. You know, just to like a butty walk. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. I think what was frustrating for me was we've not even got through the production yet, but at the interval, they sang the same songs. They didn't do a different set for the interval. Mm. It was exactly the same those songs that they sang. So, And the reason why I brought the actual um, choir up first is because uh, that's the first thing you was... It was part of the uh, place. So it was the first thing we came into contact with. So when we did take to our seats and we saw the set, before they even started, the audience was still coming in at half yeah. past. So they had the actors still on stage. Well, they just came onto stage in, um, I suppose, in a little bit of darkness, muttering in character. And the the set was basically, well, what was it? It was just a, a simple flat staging with a wooden oak panelled walls and there were three of them one at the at the back and then a section on each side about two meters high with three meters width each with the gap in between and then just a table with the labor party uh, daily herald on the trestle table at the front with mike's stands on that's where they were but it was very much a, a lackluster set if i found yeah i mean it showed a labor party conference from the era so you could actually see that that was the aim of the opening of the play i think my perspective is when you walk in and see a choir and 
their attire, what they were wearing, had got no relevance to the production. It just felt disjointed. And it was a little bit bewildering because you didn't know if you had to wait outside and watch the choir before you went and sat down and took your seats. They also blocked up the area where you walked to get a drink. So it just made everybody channel. It, it just There was a lot of confusion on people's faces. Oh, not just on mine then? No, not at all. <laughs> no, it wasn't just yours. You felt like you had to ask almost if you could sit down, which was just... It just felt a little bit strange. It was awkward. Yeah, and the fact there was no programmes available as well, I felt a yeah, little they, bit put out. sold out already, Because it's the, the final performance, and yes, I suppose, you know, it was the last performance, but you'd expect them to hold at least some back. And we weren't there late, so there was time, you know, they could have had some available. Or even if they got an online version of the, of the programme, it would have been handy. But one thing to note, by the time uh, the action started and we all took to our seats, when I say all, the audience were very few and far between it slightly empty I don't think they sold any tickets on the balcony or no the balcony was closed so they didn't they didn't even I don't think they even attempted to sell tickets this, for upstairs this play was clearly for um, a specific target audience that was interested or knew about her to begin with we went along simply because we were interested in seeing the life of this um, Labour MP Ellen Wilkinson and learn a bit about her and um, her triumphs yeah and, and uh, it was also a like new, new piece of writing that yeah. you know it was a way to maybe see what somebody can do with material that at a time when there's very few and far between recordings of somebody in that in that era so you know the new writing can fill the gaps as for the set it was very unimaginative because as the play went along the backdrop had to double up for many other scenes which um, was in the play and it just and it just became a little bit boring having to see the same um, wooden oak panelled walls all the way through but to go against that they started wheeling in a lot of uh, props and stuff which we'll talk about later into it so Richard with me giving a bit of a um, an introduction <laughs> no, that was an introduction shall we say that was a trailer that was that can be used as a trailer you can see how I feel about this play I'm going to ask you now how do you feel the space was used I think there's one word that explains a lot of it and it is chaotic mm-hmm. oh I thought it had to be censored out well <laughs> I was being polite <laughs> yeah I'd agree chaotic and uh, a bit of a mess the more it went on especially into act two but whether that was to symbolise her struggles in getting to where she needed to be and what she was fighting for. I, I don't know, but it just looked... I mean, maybe it was a way to actually show how much is going off underneath the surface that just shows how much chaos is going off in her life when actually she was got a front of controlled and purposeful. But I don't think that it translated very well to stage. I think it just looked very messy. It was almost like the ideas were there, but there was far too many tools use out of the toolbox when putting the production together put it bluntly it was a bloody shamble yeah it seemed total shambles my initial thoughts was um it's a very small play in a very large stage that's my initial impression yeah however the more we got into the play the more objects ended up thrusted onto the stage therefore it became a very small play with lots of things added to it it was just cluttered it just ended up cluttering the stage full of stuff which was probably like used only once yeah and they didn't even take things back off into the wings that then would mean that each scene would be evident that that is what's happening in that scene it just felt like yet again we've got more stuff on stage and that's how it felt it was stuff it was just certain elements like they made a scene for the cafe where in the first half they used really like they got tea trolleys with lights on them to show that there was a cafe but then 
in the second half they just brought one of the tables on and didn't even use them again so you just it, it just the, the continuity wasn't there well, I, I thought it was a restaurant rather than a cafe, but they did have uh, the titles of st- the, the scene headings of the script yeah. basically above the stage. Yeah. But on this particular part, which um, I thought was a restaurant, because um, she came, Ellen came in to speak to Isabel and maybe one other, I can't remember now, but um, there was uh, like a waiter just polishing like the cutlery on one side and then there was somebody else faffing about on another table. But those two people didn't seem to do anything other than just stand on the stage. They weren't acting as as like they worked in the cafe. They were just repeating the same just, process. Yeah, there was the there was thing. it did it was feel, distracting. Yeah, definitely, totally agree with that. But I think what the writer was in tailing was for picking out an element where um, the MP Ellen, I think, famously went into a restaurant or a cafe. And then they said women aren't allowed in here or something like that. Yeah. And and she said, um, oh, it's men only or something. And she says, um, I'm an MP, so I'm not a woman or, or a man. I'm an MP or something like that. So she gained access that way, I think. I'm waffling now. Now, what I'd say about the scene changes, and I'm going to say this now, every single scene change for me just seemed to have been um, a complete mess of how they did it. Totally. Agree. Every single one of them. I can't praise any particular scene change here everything was just ham-fisted in in the execution of it and i can't get my head around the direction well throughout but there's one particular scene that um stood out for me she was being interviewed by churchill and oh no was it churchill was it someone else i can't remember but she was putting her tights on and i thought this is very odd you're having an interview yeah. And you're putting your tights on. And I, I I wondered, okay, so this is a setup. So there must be a reason why she's going to be wearing a stockings yeah, yeah, later exactly. on. Well, it turned out the very next scene, the stockings are mentioned by Otto, her boyfriend, in the next scene. But it was a completely irrelevant scene compared to the so, previous. So so therefore, why did she need to put them on? Why yeah. didn't she have them already on? And why would you like dress in one scene just for it to be referenced in the other? Yeah, exactly. What, what what about being in the scene and and directing the piece and what she's there to do? Yeah, I mean, it's some like of... being out of sequence just for the sake of it. For you for you to be in the next scene, you need to be dressed up. So why don't you get dressed up in this scene whilst you're playing that out for it to be referenced in the the next one? It was just a bloody oddball. I think it, there was moments where the set changes just did not have any power or any this sort of didn't make sense and i know that the focus was meant to be on ellen and her her journey so the focus was meant to be on her in the middle of a in the middle of the production always doing the scene change of the costume changes but they just felt under rehearsed and very amateur it felt very, incompetent very, it felt incompetent but also i've seen amateur productions do it better and i think it was just the thought of they didn't make enough of those people doing the scene changes where they could have been part of the production where when they change set or move things i think the scene changes could have been rehearsed where they became part of the production where more, they had more slick because yeah. i found that they were um floundering around trying to get objects yeah. on stage off yeah. stage they were bumbling about like that there was a, a scene where they turned the bed into a car for ellen driving and then they reversed it back up yeah basically these other cast members were pulling the bed whilst they were still on and then during the blackout we still saw the car because it had the headlights on they stood up she took the steering wheel and handed it to someone else but whilst it went to the next scene you could still see them drag the bed car 
and the headlights because the headlights were still yeah. on. Yeah, they didn't turn it off till uh, a little bit later on. But they could have pushed it behind the walls that were there and then you wouldn't have even recognised that or registered it. It just it felt like it was a lacklustre scene change every time where you were almost waiting for that to happen and know that i think for me scene changes if you're in costume and you're doing the scene changes which is looks really good and it's always something that i like to see you're still a character on stage Mm. so make something of it make it part of why you're walking on stage not just like you're a cleaner that's got to clean the stage for the next scene it just felt like they didn't know the purpose and the audience can see it there was no blackouts in these scene changes there wasn't even a brownout at certain times so you're in full view make use of the fact that you're in full view the only nod that i saw to what i'm talking about is one scene where they got intimate they were having sex on the sofa and two of the cast members held up a blanket that was referenced in that scene and yeah that was in act two that it was, was in act it? two where they referenced the blanket it was thrown on the floor and the two cast members that were doing the scene change at that time just held it up to block off the intimate scene and, and that, it that, looked that, good yeah and, and that's it, what they the should audience have done. reacted to that with a bit of a titter yeah now why didn't they do that with a with a, a blanket in act one when they were bonking on the bed oh, but also why didn't they do it with other things where they they used the cast to walk out and hold a tray to be part of the furniture but then in other scenes they threw those moments away and i think it was like all just, or nothing wasn't yeah it, it was well, like one moment they're gonna make a cup of tea going into the kitchen but then a stagehand came out with a tray of the kettle and stuff and then next time they go to do it and it's not not there it felt totally it, i mean mrs overall does a better job <laughs> I mean, Mrs. Overall, Mrs. Overall from, from yeah, walks she out. She, they, honestly, the, the, you know, Acorn Antiques has far more... It felt like we're watching Crossroads. This does feel times. like everything went wrong. <laughs> Did we actually go and buy tickets for the play that went wrong? And this yeah, is what we got. this is what we got. Because, you know, and I think... It, <laughs> but the, I don't know, for me, it just felt... Uh, actually, it's funny you should say that, because you could actually see through the back of the actual uh, wooden set when they opened some of the, the doors or the, or the flaps or whatever you want to call it. So you did actually see the A-frame. So when you see some of the um, ensemble cast walk around the back in character, they do, I suppose, a bit of a walk. Yeah. And then you see them like, so like if they were hobbling, you'd see them. And, and then they'd like a stretch back up again and start walking off like, you know, you're still on set. We can still see you. But they've just changed from character to actor. Yeah. And I think, you know, like, oh, no one's looking at me because uh, they can't see me. Uh, yeah, we can. Yeah, we can really still see you. We know set. you're there. And I think you also saw pieces of the set pieces waiting for the next part oh, of the, the production or the next scene. And there was also a moment we're talking, we're going to be talking heavily about set because in the first half we did a set change and there was pieces of set falling over that weren't meant to be seen oh, until God, later what in the production. Was, that? was it like a, a oh, but it was a big tall, it looked like a hat stand or a stretcher or something, but it was the fact that that should have been tied back until it's needed, so it never, it doesn't fall over. But there was about I bet five it was like people trying banners, to, wasn't it, or it, something, it could or have been that, but there was God about five what. or six people trying to tie it back to the wall or, or rest it back again, and it just. <laughs> Such a distraction that those. But we're you know, talking about this production when but they this go is on the and they're final... just in rehearsal or whatever. This... And it's really bad, and you think, okay, ne- next week we've got till next week to get it right before going on. This is a professional. This production. was the final night of the production, though, and they still and haven't got it right. Still not, still got not there. So I do think it was very. So forgive us for being really harsh on this one because this is a professional production that just went to. T- 
Yeah, I just think there was too many people involved who had ideas and I don't know, I think it detracted from what could have been a good piece of theatre had it been edited and reflected upon what was happening on stage. I just feel like there was no work on the theatre craft when you actually sit there and watch the production. Well, that's it, stagecraft. Was yeah. there any? I don't think there was. I think, I think. well, no, well, actually, no, I'll take that back. I think there was a lot of stagecraft, but too much. I think there was, they, were, they threw every element of stagecraft at it and that's the problem there was no holding back on certain parts or just stepping back and going this is looking like chaos to me i think we're veering into uh talking about the direction now so we might as well go to town on that one sorry not sorry before we talk about the directing Mm. shall we talk about the writing shall we yes i suppose we should yeah we need to really new piece of writing by caroline bird and um I think she has written another play before and she she writes poetry. I found in the script there was a quite a lot of uh, poetic language, shall we say, poetic dialogue, which yeah. is I found very reminiscent of Carla Lane. Yeah, definitely. Really. However, what got me was the structuring of the actual play with the um trying to pull together a story, if that makes sense. Watching the play it just felt like one complete linear long line of post-it notes where the scenes were coming into play yeah it was a bit incoherent it was like a, a load of historical moments for yeah Ellen, all in one just in, a, in a, almost a muddle but in an order and yeah that's how we'll do it when, when you're writing any play you know you've got a beginning middle and, and an end and then you've got the the highs and the lows and the wants and the needs and this is about red ellen the mp so i think where she's come from is a uh, talking about the history of her bringing yeah. to attention who she was and what she did but in a very very haphazard and ham-fisted way you know and talking about the, the the character of ellen you've got the internal and external conflict that she has but it's not written in a way where we see her explore those as the story progressed it was very much like i say a post-it note of she did this in this scene and then she did that in that scene and then the next scene she did this and then in the other scene she did that yeah, very historical at, and i think at the, at the start you need, of, you need a story behind yeah. that who was this woman where no. did she come from we had a backstory which was one particular scene but it didn't gel it didn't no and i think at the start you you saw her almost public face in the opening of the production where she's at the Labour Party conference and you saw her be that public facing customer service driven person that talks to a wider audience that maybe doesn't talk about personal life and it just felt there was just such a disjointed way of writing where it didn't fill the gaps and you were still left guessing as to what this person actually was like because it seemed to come in and then disappear and then come in and then disappear and when i mean disappear it just disappeared and you didn't know where where it was going yeah so there's like you're saying like there was a setup but no payoff yeah basically yeah there was there's a few moments like that where you just yeah I think you found facts out about her throughout the production, but there was it no real heart. Yeah, it wasn't realised. Exactly. And I feel that, um, like I say, it was really good intentions of the writer to showcase this um, legendary character of who she was, but missed the mark massively for me. And it, it's a real letdown because I really wanted to um, find out more and just like this play for it being 
slightly powerful, like this uh, positive woman who wanted to come in and do some good, going against the establishment and making real change. And she wrote with that in mind, but it just came in like a wrecking ball. Just yeah. complete one thing after another, after another, just 100 miles an hour with no like highs or lows of the characters. But it also... Wants and needs, she wants to do this, but she's stopped because of this. It was. I keep going back to it. I just saw like a snapshot of the writer's wall of just post it notes of this scene's got to happen here and then that one but also i felt like it was bullet points of a life where it's like i've got to get all these bullet points well, that's, into that's the what production. i'm saying this is a post-it and, yeah, notes. and it's that's the same it sort of thing it's like just, ticking them, off, just mm. ticking them off just make sure we've done it but also there was times when because we've listened to some and seen some footage of ellen wilkinson that this yeah. play is depicting and i will share them in the links sent yeah. on the uh, on the podcast when we send it out and you can see there's a different woman there than was portrayed on stage this woman was more personable and more forthcoming a lot of the time and exactly Ellen she, she came across as a uh, soft and genteel and endearing you know there's not a great deal of uh, information or film reels out there but what there is is someone who's quite kind and probably listens as well as fighting for the good fight but also clever in the way she used her language because we heard a radio interview where she was very clever in retaliating to a to a a journalist and yeah. it was done with a bit of she knew how to reply and respond you know and and i think this is another uh, gripe of mine it's historically a period piece set mostly between the 30s and the 40s up to the end of her life and you only have to watch like Noel Coward plays or Pinters or that of the era to see how they spoke and how eloquently they were even you know there's reels out there on YouTube about British yeah. Panthe or, or yeah, film Panthe, of, yeah, yeah. yeah those ones life of the times yeah, of to actually get all kinds of social um, class and how they speak and the dialogue the writing just didn't match that it was very contemporary yeah with a definitely. load of buzzwords fitted in you know communism yeah. fascism yeah and, and, and all, all the ilk like that and even the comedy she does write really good comedy however it was overrun with it felt like inexperienced playwriting in terms of what was the point of this scene exactly what the Take wants, it what back the to needs, basic where's it going yeah but also i think it was also the regard for what's happening in the next scene because it was very compartmentalised into each scene, it felt messy because you were like, oh, we're going here now. And just by projecting the words yeah. on the stage to tell you what where we are next, I didn't think that was enough to no. tell you where you were going because it felt like we just keep jumping. I felt it, like we just... Yeah, it was it's a token element, but you, you, a play cannot rely solely no. on information on the screen. Because no. really, you shouldn't have anything. You shouldn't you have should that be able kind to, of technology. Personally, you should be able to shut your eyes and know what's happening without all the other stuff. Because you've almost got to imagine it and say, do the words stack up for themselves and hold the production on its own? Yeah, I think it was overindulgent in yeah. its, uh, to excess on a lot of them. There's a couple of scenes which um, it got me feeling and gave me the impression that the writer had been watching Chris Chibnall's run of Doctor Who with Jodie Whittaker. Because every time I was watching it, I was thinking, this is the Doctor speaking. I was waiting for her to whip out the sonic screwdriver. Oh, I'm going to fix it. Here you are, here you are. Milk for the kids. But also, there was also a moment where, like, the scene in the underground bunkers where 
Ellen was playing the the MP for all the bunkers and the, the supporting all the yeah. people that were under there in the bomb shelters. The bomb shelters. The bomb shelters. It felt a little like there was references to Margaret Thatcher in there, and it just felt a yeah. little bit like this politician is being portrayed yeah. as somebody from a different party, and it mm. just felt like is that what the aim was, or what was you know there's documents of stuff that there was happened in those days, and I just felt that that was maybe misjudged i don't know i just i think there was a lot of creative license in this production where oh maybe used very way too much to be fair yeah well i think i switched off i'm not gonna lie i probably switched off without a bunker scene i felt like i dozed off a bit and i woke up and i thought i was listening to polly james beat bell from uh, the liver birds on stage that's what it sounded like a little woman crossed between liz smith and hilda baker running around on stage in, yeah. in a comedy moment and yeah. that's what it felt like for a short period of time and some of the scenes were there in excess and this play desperately needs editing i'm going to say that now or at least a, a dramaturg sorting this out because this goes back to or this links in with the direction of it it had elements of pinteresque pauses but it felt as if they didn't understand what the pauses meant so so they stopped speaking and because it's not Pinteresque at all yeah it was like oh have they forgot their line what's this about and then on, on one hand they had a cup of tea and we just watched someone make a cup of tea and pour it yeah no no no, no tea bag in it or anything no, like there's that there's no it was tea just, bag just and clear just, water but, but they were pouring clear water and, and i think there was a bit of milk in it to prepare so it was just didn't look anything like tea so if you can't make the cup of tea don't use water just use it without and let people fill that gap in exactly and let me just interject here the first act was 60 minutes 20 minute interval and then it was was it 80 minutes it was 80 minutes so an hour and 20 half. minutes and it felt like 20 minutes was just waiting watching someone make a cup of tea but also a lot of this stuff could have been edited but also the the interval was picked at the point where they needed to break the production because of the set that was coming for the second half yes and yeah it was almost made because of the the scenes that had been created for the production rather than it being an equal side. I mean, normally, most productions have a longer first half and a shorter second mm. if they're going to go that route. But to have a longer second half... It was a bore was fest, just, an extra 20 yeah. minutes of boredom. It could have been tightened up and edited well because it got the makings of a good production yeah it's at the heart and needed, soul of yeah. it it's got an idea it's got the theme hell even the poster looks spectacular yeah. it really looks inviting really looks good this wasn't a play i was going to go and see but no. because we went and saw it like, off the cuff i can't help feeling a little let down yeah i mean i didn't go in with any idea of what i was going to see and i think i was disappointed based on not the production and how it was and it's audience i think it was more the writing and the haphazardness of the production the reason why i didn't particularly um have any interest because i I don't particularly like going down echo chambers and i thought this is going to be left-wing echo chamber where they're just going to start banging on and on and on about the other side just a very indulgent piece an indulgent piece of theater that's uh, politically charged again and i can't be doing with it right now however (laughs) however however seeing it i felt so let down by the pace, by the directing, by the writing, a little bit of the performance, by the lighting, by the sound. Oh, f- 
Take everything. Yeah. I mean, if it was indulgent and good, I would have enjoyed it. And I think that's the thing. What's annoying me more is there's a story there I want to know. Yeah, exactly. And it did not deliver. It, it made me research certain parts of Ellen Wilkinson's life that I didn't know about. And have I did read up on things. But they, they say, why is it no one knows about her, but they know about Margaret Thatcher? Exactly. Well, a lot of people know about Margaret Thatcher because a lot of people are whinging on about her and attacking yeah. her yeah. right, left and centre. You know, even if she's done good or even if she's done bad she was actually the first female prime minister so of course she's going to be known this just feels like victimhood in all honesty how she was written started off like she was a victim instead of female empowering like her social background she came from nothing around manchester she was quite short because of uh, nutrient deficiencies and quite a lot of um, yeah, and their asthma i think and the asthma where was the story for her to defy every single thing to become so close because the, the house of Lords? at the end of the day the writing portrayed her as somebody that slept around and had multiple partners but also they just indulged in that section of her life without yeah. focusing on the story you need to have no, the story and then tell what happened there was no you retrospective don't... as to where she came from or what she did or how she became that person and it felt... well that's what that's that's all in the character work and the story yeah. you know you showcase the story and then you show what happens and how it affects her to be the person she was what we got was a load of scenes that showed what she did with yeah. no story. No, exactly. Yeah, there, was there was no, no story. There was no, there was no, this was, there was a history a lesson. There was definitely an end and there was a definitely a start. But The end couldn't come bloody soon but, enough for me. I'm so angry that a player I didn't particularly want to go and see and I sat through and they've not done it justice. No. As much as they probably think they have on that side of the fence, they haven't. No. I just think that... They the, made her out to be so hard done by. Nobody's questioned the the integrity of the script and nobody's sat yeah. back and this is where editing is so important because this could be a piece of theatre that ran for a long time yeah. if they'd have got the writing right. I think as well, I mean, the cast, personally, the performance didn't help because it, we went to a captioned performance and the captions didn't... Mask mask. They no. didn't. You you were reading the script on the captions, and they were missing lines. Mm. They were they were showing up the words, and you're thinking the captions don't match the words that they're saying. There was some people, some some cast members that were just were just missing ends of ends of sentences, or there were certain moments that questions weren't being asked. They were just being flatly said. Those words it lost the intonations of the the actual production. Yeah, the, the play needed to be edited, really, so much, so much. In fact, you could probably do away with an hour's worth and split the 80 minutes in half. But the thing is, it's like, was uh, um, did the director question the writer instead of just saying, oh, this is brilliant because this is what I believe in and this is all left wing and I'm all into that? You know, it's like they didn't want to offend anybody. The set and costume, why didn't anybody say to that person, and I'm not going to name in shame, um, this is wrong. It, did they feel within the whole creative team that they didn't want to upset someone? You know? Yeah, I mean, for, it, for, it sort of almost felt like... Because we had four, pretty much four directors here on this yeah. one. And not one of them got it right. You know, you've got the assistant director, intimacy director, the movement director. Why could the director not direct all those other two? Is I it because the, the, other, the, the actual director is incompetent and cannot do that? I think I the know. whole point of a director is as much as you want a collaboration with your creative, shall we say, for a piece of theatre, the director still has to pull rank and create one 
total joined up piece of theatre and I think it was very evident that this was a production made of a, a collective of people rather than one voice and I think that's so important when you're creating theatre. I've I've seen productions like this before where you think too many voices have got involved because yeah. it's messy. It's, which it's is not evident, conducive which is to saw. one an audience member to watch it and take it in Ugh. and understand it. And I think that's the key thing. Sometimes you have to step back and sit there and go, that needs to go, that needs to go. And it may be, I mean, personally, I wonder if the director had their hands tied and they couldn't change the writing because Caroline wouldn't let them. Maybe. It may be that they would confined within that that workspace but if something isn't going to work it's got to be changed you know yeah you, you need to know that you've done wrong yeah you, you can't just be going around slapping people on the back saying oh well done this is this is a brilliant piece of writing i can't wait to do this and just f- it up well exactly do you know I, mean, what I mean but, but I mean, even if we're, if we're all starving here and no one wants to eat that bloody hot pot but i feel like even if there was previews did they actually change anything from those previews did anybody actually be honest about the production because also, in new writing you've got to do that because you make it more universally accepting to actually get this message out to more people and this is why i'm wondering the people who reviewed it and people who were part of it are they biased are they biased because oh this is red ellen this is about labor and you know um they want to actually tell that story without thinking how it could be done better but has is it the just sto- this, and this also, is the element that's great so also just go with has it. the story been told properly well we don't know and, there's two sides to every story you know, has, to- has the story been told in a in a in a way that, that i mean i just don't think there was strength of message in the whole whole piece really you no. know you're basically I don't know. I think it. But talking about like editing it down, there's parts of the dialogue where in one particular scene that they're talking about something, and then and then um, he he starts saying, "Oh, do you like my bow tie?" Yeah. And it's like, well, that's the Doctor Who esque. It's like a random thing, and then this uh, person just randomly talks about something completely different. Just because it's fun. It just felt it distracting, and it, I it think there was times like, felt like she'd definitely watched too much Doctor Who for God's sake. But anyway, we need to move on to directing. As if this is all merged anyway. But to me, it's trying to be stylistic without knowing how to do it. Yeah. It felt inexperienced. I, I thought I was watching a student production. If yeah, it was I'll a student production, if it was a student production or an amateur one, I'd probably give it a little bit more leeway. But no, this is a proper production in a proper theatre yeah. with proper resources yeah. and a proper f- budget. Exactly. I would love to have that for, for me and my play. Yeah, I, yeah, I, would, I would love to yeah. have that opportunity and to see this f- up. Anyway, the direction, it's like, like what I was talking about, the pauses, pinter pauses, Brechtian way of moving about or having that think use of the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had some actors who weren't in the scene, they just stood at the back with um, with the backs to the audience because they weren't utilised. Yeah. But all the other f- on the stage was just left instead of taking them off. But yeah. they didn't always stick to that. No, it felt like there were scene changes and things that had been directed in a way that, oh, just leave that there because we need it again or leave that there because we need it again but there was no definite decision on how it was going to be done it was messy it was almost like had the director given in when the cast member had said well i can't move that and i can't do that and i can't do that it was almost like 
rather than finding another way around it to to make it look slicker and cleaner they'd not actually they'd not actually come up with an idea so i do question the directing in that way because was it left too much to say the movement director or was it left to everybody else on stage to do those things it just became comedic there's too many chefs in the kitchen is basically what you're saying yeah too too many utensils at hand yeah like i said there were there's too many tools in a book yeah trying to screw in a, a, a screw with a hammer yeah, it felt like you were trying to drill a hole with armour. But as a director, why didn't... I'm going back to the writing again, and I know we're trying to move on, but this it was a messy show, which is making the review messy, because there's just everything yeah. is just ham-fisted. But they had a telephone scene in Act 2 where Ellen was on the telephone to... Was it a sister or a mother, Annie? Sister. Sister. Okay. But her sister was actually on, on the set as well. Now, I didn't know she was phoning Annie. I thought she was just trying to get through to, I don't know, order order a pizza or something. I don't know. She was on the phone, put it that yeah. way. But she was having a conversation with Annie. I thought that was in the same room. I didn't realise yeah. until afterwards that she was actually on the phone to Annie. Now, why do it that way? Why wasn't Annie had a phone on the other end of the stage? So we could see that they were both on opposite end of the line. That, that was a bit iffy for me. Yeah. And then you had the naming of the kettle scene. Oh. What random tribe was that? It never went anywhere. Like no. we're talking about setup. It never went it anywhere. What was the purpose was... of naming your kettle or no. naming your toaster? Oh. So, Richard, do you think this was well directed? No. No, me neither. I just think it was done in too much of a collaborative way. I think that there was no solid decision on how the whole production would look. For me, there wasn't a writer's voice and there certainly wasn't a director's voice. No, I felt like had they been working together on the production, because when you do new writing, you've got to make allowances for how something looks on stage. You can't just say, here's my new piece of script, Mm. direct it. Because that writer, until they actually see it happen, how how can they make that script a performance script rather than a a piece of theatre that they think, well, if I've written it, it will work. And and mm. some things don't work. No, you need to edit on the, on you've, the go. You've got to yeah. have that element of editing. You've got to be open to that editing as well. Yeah. Because until you do that, you can't, you can't write for theatre just in a room and not look at a piece of and not actually spend time watching it and go actually that just doesn't work or you know I think they could have stripped out so much that would have made it so much sharper and so much I felt like I was watching I don't know something in production that's like not even I felt like it, even though this was the last night I felt like this was a preview yeah but the thing is this play as it is is going to be published by Nick Hearn Books yeah. Well, it needs bloody just, editing before it gets published. I, I, I'm just, I'm just speechless. To be fair, I can't. I don't think I can I'm put into down. words. I just feel like it needs a lot more thought and a lot more, more depth in the production. To be fair. Now, before we sum up, we do need to move on to our next segment. I know it's been a long one, but we're going to get there. So, moving on now, you know what we're here for. I think we're here, here for the drama. So, Richard. What did you feel about the performances? Was there any notable standout with the cast? What I will say is Beatrice Jones, as Ellen Wilkinson, was always present, always on stage, always. She she knew her script inside out, upside down. And regardless of the direction and the words... Yeah, the regardless cast, of all that, you know, I agree. For, for me, she she was she knew what she was doing. She knew... She, she never left stage, so... She was brilliant in her acting ability and how she performed. 
will, she, she I will had a lot it. to do there. There was, there was so much. Um, it was like a one woman show, really. It, it she, was, carri- the focus she carried. Was, it. was on Ellen at all times. Yeah, you know? so she had to be. And I, I forgive her for the awkward scene changes because she was always in the next scene. Yeah, she was she always was always she, on it. But she was always where she needed to be. She didn't misstep anything. You know, I will say that I think it was just the chaos around her that led to us being so critical i think really mm. and i would say maybe she was a little miscast simply because she looked younger than what the actual yeah person was however that didn't stop her but as much as she gave a really outstanding performance i felt there was no emotional highs or lows she didn't really take it to where it could have been but was that down to the directing and the writing because you can only work with what you've got and if it's not in the writing then she probably couldn't have taken yeah the actual character there but i don't know if she for me gave that warmth to the character that gentleness that endearing personality which we saw on the clips of this character but also it felt there were certain elements that weren't showing her Ellen Wilkinson aging mm. in a way you know there was Only no at... costume moments where it's sort of dirty. I know what you're saying here because basically the progression of age within this timepiece because it was going from one extreme to the other and she, wherever the character went either in Russia when she was doing all the espionage with the spies and Otto and, and all this um things we never saw her age not plus she's got ill health now yeah. when it needed she'd cough in a yeah. scene but then that never always transferred to a next scene no. or when with her popping pills that could have been brought in a bit earlier yeah exactly but it's again it's how it's structured it's down to the structure and i think that's yeah that's that's where the writing and the direction comes in where those moments needed to start earlier you know yeah to show the progression rather than it just being like a, a post-it note bullet point of a scene uh, and i will had. say the one of the other cast i mean laura evelyn who played isabel i think that there was there was times where some of her delivery of speech were uh, and, and sort of her lines were done very very flat where there was no intonation in her voice or the her language used she got an accent she was a she was got a scouse accent however there was just some moments where i think it didn't help with the closed captions you could see what laura was meant to be saying and there was a lot of lines cut short and it felt like, did she actually know the lines? And I think it was a little bit more obvious. In Here's that. a thought. If it was an entertaining piece of a production, you wouldn't be looking at the the, no. the script. No, I wouldn't be looking at the script no. on the wall because the closed captions were on. Yeah. Um, but, but it was the things where there was question marks at the end of some of her statements and she didn't ask the questions. They were just delivered very to the point. Mm. I felt... Um, Beatrice did take on the role of Ellen, but saw her as this wrecking ball and just gone in at one kind of level. Yeah. Fast, fast, fast. Yeah. Uh, with um, no deviation or, or free will to, to do anything else. You know, there's, there's a lot more about this uh, Ellen in terms of characterization, but it just felt a little bit one note for me. Yeah, almost um, without the, the sort of personable approach that we've seen in the videos and things mm, that we've seen but there there was some really nice performances as well only a a few weren't as good and i'm I'm trying to be polite because i could go to town here and i really don't want to because i don't want to offend people i I would say um sandy bachelor who was otto he was really good as well as uh Beatrice jones which were you basically your two leads in a way yeah they were your main main uh, play Uh, they they stood out more than 
the ensemble, the, the rest of them. Because I think the others probably stood out for the wrong reasons on wrong sections or scenarios or scenes. But also I think there was a few moments where, you know, it was probably more a direction decision than it was a, a cast decision, but certain scenes to give the illusion, say, for example, Churchill was there. Yeah. He had his back to the audience, but then... Which could be a stylized piece of yes, directing. Which, yeah, which was, you know... It had its clever moments, but however, you couldn't actually hear the character as well. No. Because he had his back to the audience and the microphones were in front of the stage but, picking up his voice. Yeah, but was... they mirrored that when Ellen was interview interviewing um, the characters called David. I think it was, yeah, played by uh, Jim Kitson. Uh, but he was talking about his shoes. Because yeah. he had uh, as um, asbestos, asbestos, yeah. So he it was about going to on, on marches. Now, whether that was um, a link of um, Ellen being interviewed by Churchill, and then she was the one interviewing David. But with that, you ended up with Ellen interviewing David. You had awk pauses again. So, so that was like a stylistic thing where they, yeah. they and I don't know if, if they just forgot the lines or what. But because you couldn't see Ellen, you had one person you were looking at, and it just felt like. Have they lost the plot? Don't they know their lines? Yeah. What it, is going on? Those times are when it shows that you were trying to really concentrate on this piece of theatre. Yeah. And you still felt lost. Yeah. Now, um, what do you feel about the uh, the props? <clears throat> the cigarettes? Uh, I don't think this cask smoked. I don't think they know how to hold a cigarette. No. I think although they used e-cigarettes to give the actual impression that they mm. were smoking, I think they were used almost far too much or they were used last minute or forgot about then we need to like but we need to smoke something or it got to the point where one of them were like um putting it down on the ashtray then picking it up and, and oh i've got to speak so i've got to have a, a fag in my hand it just looked awkward yeah from knowing family members who smoke and being around work colleagues that smoke and, and a lot of smokers and, and seeing another production where they did actually smoke yeah viewing this it, it again it just added to that unprofessionalism yeah amateurish it, yeah it, it did it, feel really awkward and and i don't like it when amateurs do this as well no, and this is no. why it's really a sore i think sore also thumb. with props there was there were moments with the props where they were used in different scenes but awkwardly in a way there was a scene with the hospital bed where the where ellen um, got into a car car accident and then she ended up in a hospital bed she was sat in the hospital bed and then one of the other cast members used a cup from another scene that was on a table that had still been left out, but it just felt, because that, that table and that chair and that tea set were depicting a room scene, to pick up a teacup off there to use it in the hospital, it just didn't feel relevant. It felt really... It just felt like, well, there's all this rubbish everywhere, let's just use that because it's there. It was a chaotic mess. Yeah. Basically. And then after the bed was used, it was just left invisible in front of the stage, but then never used again for the whole second half. It was just abandoned at the back of the thing. Yeah, and talking about props, I, I think it was into Act 2 where Ellen, she had a particular scene which made her feel like the victim. And then you just felt, oh, what's going to come next? And then what came next? Annie was wheeled out on a wheelchair. Ellen felt so hard done by, like she's a victim. And then you felt, oh, woe is me, pity on her. And then the the wheeling in Annie in a wheelchair with a, an air canister basically attached yeah. to her. And then when you think, oh, okay, so another prop, another thing on set. 
And then after that, and his house was burning down. So they had this prop come down from the, the rafters, which was like a silhouetted uh, doll's house, which was lit with a fire in it, just to show it was burning. And I thought, well, there's something else. So, um, But you couldn't tell if that was meant to be Ellen's house, or it, it sort of depicted just a house and... It was basically another one of those letters on, on the back of the stage that says, Ellen's house is burning down, but in visual form. Yeah. Another scene. So her house was burning down, we saw that, and I thought... Oh, another pop on stage. Now what's going to happen? Yeah. Oh, and what did happen? A load more models of buildings coming on set, they, they wheeled on, that were burning down. So then Ellen had to put a backpack on like the Ghostbusters and go fighting fire there. And then after that, what happened? Oh, a blimp came down to from say, the rafters. That's where the budget victory. went, on the blimp. Yeah. And then after that, just when you think there couldn't be anything else on the stage, cluttering up this sh in comes a hospital bed. Yep. Gets wheeled in just for a scene. And then, like you say, get taken off and Left. dumped on stage. And then we moved on to a scene where Ellen found out she was just the second part of a relationship. Just the second wheel in Herbert Morrison's relationship with, with her and his wife. When his wife was returning, she was just thrown on the scrap heap almost. And then there was a, a fight scene where they were throwing paper and rubbish at each other and plates were being broken oh and he emptied the waste paper and the basket and she was saying where's basket. her wife and who's there for her and the stuff was being thrown everywhere i mean i did question the the waste paper basket was there was nothing but paper in the waste paper basket mm. which normally you'd expect a bit of rubbish of other other types within yeah. that like packaging on and or things that they would have used in the house but it just felt messy and then what happened with all that it just got left on stage but also one thing i'd like to say is the, oh. the kettle there was also a scene at that point where they made a pot of tea and they boiled the kettle on the stove fine they used the cast member to be that that kitchen unit holding a tray with the equipment however the cast member held the kettle over the stove to imitate the stove and the sound effects came on where there was a whistling kettle. That kettle had no whistle in it. So how could it have whistled? <laughs> and we're talking about props here. And what I have forgot to mention, whilst they brought on the wheelchair, whilst they brought on the mic stand and the gas canister and then the house burning down and then the models and then the blimp and then the uh, the hospital bed, they also had a great big megaphone. Yeah. No, they didn't. They had a great big it was a gramophone. gramophone. They had a great big gramophone that they wheeled on in to play the music in Act 1. And then they utilised it as some kind of like um, foghorn in the second act, the alarms for sounding. Cause yeah, uh, and... Uh... The gramophone was on stage at the start for and it Ellen's, left, really. Ellen's flat. That it was oversized. However, nothing else in that room was oversized. So it looked almost like you were in the borrowers, where it was <laughs> a piece of it was over exaggerated. And I can see where they were trying to go with it, where it was a megaphone. It was a, a piece of like almost like the propaganda sort of posters where you've got a, a call to action using mm. a big speaker. But then when it kept being dragged around stage, it just felt wasted. But there were moments the actors like went to it to do something that had nothing to do with that particular scene, and then they walked back from it. Yeah. They wasn't getting a drink. It wasn't a drinks cabinet. No. They weren't doing it. It wasn't even turned on for music. The it, only, it was the like only... an awkward thing where they just went there and came back again. And the only thing that I really liked it being used for was the air raid shelter 
part where they were actually moving it around like it was the air raid siren which had a purpose but other than that it didn't really have any purpose which brings me back to my first statement i think it was my first one when i said this felt like a small play on a very large stage yeah. and the reason why it had to be a large stage is because of all the that they put on it everything was just humongous why did they need a blimp why did they need a huge gramophone i think that also it's like what we're trying to say is the props got to a point where after the waste paper basket was tipped everywhere after the plates were were, were smashed and everywhere after the blimp had appeared Oof. towards the end of the production nothing was moved off stage again so no, you've got these there. model buildings kicking around stage you've got all this stuff on stage that basically it made you feel like it was, it chaos. Ju it was just chaos but beyond having a reason it was chaos without any form of reason and it just felt like but sometimes just, they were taking um, stuff off yeah and sometimes they left it on yeah like, and then but but also sometimes they attempted to clear some stuff but not everything it felt like it wasn't it didn't even have a purpose and also there was one other scene where there was a paper mache head of red oh Aaron, i forgot all Helen. about that and i've seen billy elliot on stage and it was just the same or it felt very similar to the Merry Christmas Margaret Thatcher moment where there's a there's almost a spitting image head yeah. appears. And now, it, what it just that... felt like such a moment that didn't make any sense. But what was it what was the point there? What was the the idea behind that? Was it the opposition pointing fun? Yeah, it was at, almost was it, like maybe? trying to do the the sort of reverse propaganda. Yeah. It was that sort of moment, and it, Again, it I'm not because sure. it came out of nowhere. It didn't have the power it needed. It just it was did... just another piece of sh on the stage. Yeah, it... they should have saved all that budget from the blimp, for, from everything else that was overly used, and hired a dramaturg. It was an editor. yeah. It was almost like a moment where they were trying to show a flip side moment, like the, or George Orwell's nineteen eighty four, where you see how the propaganda machine works and mm. what you, even if somebody's good or they just churn you through the mill and put you out the other side and they make fun of you or use you as part of that poster campaign. But because there was so much chaos, it just felt like a messy moment on stage and it was like it felt thrown away where they could have made more of it. Maybe it was symbolism as to what they were trying to say, that the country's a mess. She's there to tidy it up. That's why the stage is a mess. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like I'm searching for a reason of why it was, it was done the way done it was. In an ironic way and sort of show the irony of what she was trying to do and, and make fun of it. And it... it just looked unprofessional. So, unfortunately, moving on to our final segment. What the tech is this? So, Richard, I know you started off by asking me about the set layout and I've sort of uh, gone back into my driving seat here. I'm going to ask you, what did you think about the tech and the, the sound, the lighting, the sound effects before we finish up with our ratings? Lighting-wise, it was done well in the overall general cover of the production, but I do think there was moments that could have been done better, and there was a big light hanging from stage that seemed to have a mind of its own. And <laughs> it became going. a cast member yeah. on its own, because there were certain points where they may have swung this light that was like a big factory light almost that you'd mm. see in an industrial building. Yeah. And there were certain moments where I don't know if they were swinging it, it was from in, side to side to yeah, show that Yeah, it was in Act 1 and Act 2 that I noticed it. But it yeah. kept swinging in, a pre, in, in the next scene. Well, because they'd swung but, it so wide, it was mm. like a pendulum. It just kept going. 
there we go. Kept going. Kept going like a wrecking ball. And and because the lights were full up on stage, all you could see was this this motion of something going forward and back and forward and back. And it was almost like, look over there, there's a giraffe. You know, it's like sort of there's something moving. When they were looking through the window, this um, apparent window, which was basically an open flat in in the wood basically i don't know how to describe it they could have had a, a light reflecting inwards yes so we had some depth yeah, of, of course. Um, the exterior world coming in yeah. to, to this the stage and all these other nuanced um lighting bits like when they got in because they were going to have sex or whatever in this intimate area you know they had the lamp there for this bedroom but it took them a while before they actually turned it on yeah so if they walked into that room why didn't they turn a light on you know for me those shadows are important and those mm. light light leaks are important to show that that's the building they're in well right, actually when the... you're on about the shadows for example yeah. because they were having this intimate scene right this is what 1930s 1940s yep. the kind of character she was and the age she was in her 40s uh, 50s that era or um, age range they made this uh, sex scene seem hilarious and something out of like sex in the city now it could have been done a whole lot better had they have had a blanket over them like a sheet over them like they repeated in the second act but silhouetted yeah unless done for laughs and less done as if it's out of character like would she have behaved this way like a freak in the sheets yeah it, it well, was maybe she would like, but yeah. it was a bit it seemed out of character it didn't lend itself to the rest of the character's performance and i mean she might know. have been pr promiscuous but she might have been but i don't think it, I, I i saw samantha jones yeah basically yeah definitely on that particular those sort of scenes wouldn't have been they, they were a bit more gentlemanly or very, yeah. very more, or more well shall we say more missionary you know there was more you know there probably wasn't as much free loving it wasn't the 60s well maybe if she was getting a free Recon. I just think it it should have been done more in character to the character we see. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's... I think this is where creative license came yeah. in, where maybe it was done modern day when actually this wasn't actually the. It the, just look. It just took you away from the actual story. The, yeah. This was more of a scene which was like an idealized scene of how it would have been done in today's yeah, standards exactly. whereas i think it just falls down to character yeah it does one of the things i'd say is i liked there was moments where they lit a light when they lit the buildings up for the fire scene so the small models had lights in that were automatic so when they brought them out they were automatically controlled if they'd used that technology for the headlights in the car yeah. then it would have looked even more slick because if you go to the effort of having buildings that light up automatically and then the headlights stay on and those moments happen, make it all happen right. I mean... They should have had a... a if they'd have seen Animal Farm, which was directed by Robert Ilk, yeah. Ick, they did that seemingly. It was just perfection, the way they did that. It was a complete blackout and everything was lit up. The models... The, the the lights for the Land Rover, everything was just spot on. It was just uh, on point, on point all the time with the beats. The way they did this, even though they had lights in the models, which looked like the house were burning down, it wasn't in a complete blackout. No. So you could still see the sh on the rest of the stage. You could also see the wheels on the bottom of the buildings. And I think also the I felt like 
the lighting the, the moments that i didn't like were where there was almost like dreamlike sequences that yet again didn't feel relevant to the production we had colored lights flying about and things that it's like we'd use too many toys in the toy box there was loads of things that you they wanted to do and it's like they'd seen too many other productions to create this show and it felt flat i mean sound effect wise it was good. I think they were okay. The the sounds and the things they chose were right for the piece. There was a moment where Ellen was in the House of Lords and you've got like the mutterings of the other MPs, but it just seemed like it was like stock sound bites. Yeah. It seemed like it, did. it, it, it wasn't um, what they like could have BBC done. BBC sounds three. And yeah, BBC just mu mutterings four. of people like chuntering in the cafe. It didn't seem like uh, when she spoke, what they should have done is have a raucous of MPs sounding from the opposite side of where she was sitting. So it was coming from the opposition. Like they were yeah. muttering about what she said, firing her up. But it wasn't. It, it just seemed extremely flat. Like they've only just done a half attempt at filling a bit of extra sound there for the other MPs instead of actually thinking in detail who would be chuntering or who would be offended by what she's saying who would be wanting to counteract that where is it coming from if she's standing on the stage right then ideally the MPs that are uh, chuntering and not agreeing with her should be coming from probably stage left yeah exactly from the conservative side yeah but, but it, again it's like that little attention to detail was completely lost on this production now for our ratings as we say call this a show so richard final thoughts to sum up what you thought of red ellen well i've seen it and i don't want to see it again i've seen it and I wouldn't say I'd want to see it again unless it was heavily edited and a lot of work was put in. And I'm here for new writing. I've seen a lot of things that are new writing and I just feel that they just needed to step back and look at the piece as a whole and edit for an audience because I think it was too indulgent. I feel like more attention is needed to the script. Yeah. Before going into production, before doing anything else, edit it. Edit it like you have never edited anything in your life. And be honest this, with yourself when you're writing the piece, almost. Yeah. This sounds like we're actually talking to the author now. But it, it's just one of them things where I feel this show needs to benefit from going back to basics. What's the story you're saying? Focus on the story. Focus on the character. And then fill in, just pepper it with her life. But make sure that you concentrate on the character and the woman, Ellen Wilkinson, before shoving in her life and portraying that because it was just a incoherent mess and i've said it before and i'll say it again focus on the journey oh the journey well it was just it wasn't one there wasn't one so yeah for me i was intrigued once i was in there but then it was just a complete landslide downwards i'm afraid so on a scale of one to ten with one being a bag of uh damp parsnips and 10 being fantastic what are you going to score this richard be honest i'll give it a three because they tried i'm going to be honest and give it two one goes for the efforts of the actors and that's distributed between all of them and the second point goes towards the lady the usherette outside who i had a really lovely chat to who told me that there wasn't any programs but i could steal the poster i was more engaged with that lady there and had more of a fun time so this show gets one extra point for the usherette okay but what i probably would have said as well is uh we get one point for the actors and all of them and i probably would have done an extra point for um otto 
Sandy simply because he was quite attractive. <laughs> and that gets the extra point. But because you've done three, I'm going to have to just do two because <laughs> I don't, I don't, we can't match again. So what sound effect will you be choosing from the following? A complete train wreck. Tumbleweed. An audible shrug of the shoulders. Uh? A slow clap. A pleasant applause. Or a standing ovation. What will it be? What's it going to be? Well, there's only one button I can press here, and it's going to have to be the train wreck. Oh! I've gone there. Harsh, I've harsh, done it. harsh. But do you know what? And I hate the fact that I have to sound as if I'm copying you. I'm pressing two buttons. Oh. I'm pressing one because the production as a whole was a train wreck, so I'm pressing that one. And my second is for the plot. Okay. Tumbleweed all the way. What the actual... You're just greedy. Bleep me. You know I make sense. And on that bombshell, that's the end of our review for Red Ellen. So there we are. That's our discussion of Red Ellen. We hope you found it insightful. If not, entertaining. Coming up over the next few episodes, we will be discussing the new production of Ladies of Letters, Cluedo, and The Homecoming. That's it for this week, folks. If you'd like to drop us a message, please email us at upstagedownstagepod at gmail.com. Remember, you can always join in the chat to share with us your views on a production. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our channel so you get every episode the second it's released. And we hope you join us again for another instalment of Upstage Downstage. Downstage.